This is the Adventure Through the Bible podcast. We are regular people on a quest to discover the treasures in God's Word. Uh, with me today, I've got Karen. Huh? What? Yep, that's you. And we've got Tracy. Good morning. And we have Eric. <laughs> ah, good morning. <laughs> yes, that was Eric. If you listen very, very closely to Eric's voice today, you will be able to hear the haircut that his wife gave him this week. Yeah. <laughs> yep, it's awesome. He, he got a he got a coronavirus haircut from his wife. <laughs> quarantine, <laughs> quarantine cut. No, <laughs> uh, uh, no, it was funny. He had a whole post on Facebook about it, and it was it was it was kind of funny. Um, but really, I mean, I'm looking right at him. <laughs> it looks pretty good. <laughs> um. All right, so let's get started into this week. Um, you might recall last week we had j- just been introduced to Joseph and his brothers. And then it was going to shift gears just a little bit. So we actually start off shifting gears just a tad this morning because the text moves into a story about Judah and Tamar. Now i got to get myself re- re- reassociated with them here. But... So Judah, as you know, is one of the sons of Israel, and he marries Shua, this uh, woman from Canaan. Now, that's interesting because a lot of, usually it seemed like they didn't want them to get married to the Canaanite women, but Judah did that. And he has two sons, and their names are Ur and Onan. Now, Ur gets a wife named Tamar. Now, <laughs> the name Ur is interesting because it means wicked in the sight of the Lord. So it's got me wondering, what did he do to get named that? Or no, 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 I'm it sorry. Means, it wasn't it that he was named the, that. It wasn't that he was named that. Verse 7 tells us that he was wicked in the sight of the Lord. And we don't really get any details beyond that. Okay. Well, he gets put to death, basically. So he's, he's yeah. out of the picture. Yeah, it just says he was wicked and the Lord killed him. So it kind of makes me wonder what he did because it's usually a little more uh, explicit about what people do before they lose their life or something. But the point of it is that, as Eric said, he's kind of just – he's taken out of the picture. He's not there. Oh, is that, Tracy? Rather quickly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, In in our narrative anyways. Yes. Right. Now – in the traditions of the time, when a brother died and left a widow with no children, it was the tradition that the next brother in line would marry the widow, have a child with her, and then that child would be credited to the brother who had just, who had just died. And so Onan is supposed to do this. He's supposed to provide an, an heir to Ur. It seems that he marries her, goes to bed with her, but he won't get her pregnant. He, uh, well, let's just say he uses a birth control method. <laughs> that... so, and it's important to note that in, in verse 9 is that he did this for his selfish gain. Yeah, this this wasn't any kind of anything other than, well, wait a minute, if my dad has inheritance and he has two sons, my dead brother and me, if my dead brother's offspring gets half, then I only get half. If my brother has no offspring, I get everything. Right. Yeah. So it was pretty well premeditated and preconceived what he was doing. 
Yep. Right. Right. And he was just um, he was really just using Tamar at this point. So. So this this isn't this isn't like some kind of edict against birth control here or anything like that or responsible uh, family planning, because this is very specifically him not wanting to perform his his duty to this woman. Well, it's um, greed, straight up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and because he does this to Tamar, um, he dies too. Which I thought was interesting because, I mean, there's over the centuries, people have all kinds of human traditions that we design to sort of get along and make our cultures and our societies work how we think they should. And sometimes I look at those and I wonder, you know, what does God think of that? And I, I thought that it was interesting that, that like, it doesn't say what God thinks of the policy of you know, marrying a woman to the next brother in line so that the brother who dies can have an heir. It doesn't say anything about that, but apparently he wants you to honor your word and he wants you to honor the things that you're supposed to do and that you say you'll do. That's right. And that's a, that's a theme for this whole chapter. And that is paramount in this chapter. If you're not essentially doing the right thing, God's not, he's not down with that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting here because this is one of those instances where God didn't say this is the right thing to do. Uh, uh, the the society, the, the the community had determined this custom, um, which is a little odd to our ears. But well, yeah, yeah, it is. But the thing is, remember, is that if women didn't have rights, mm-hmm. this Tamar would have nothing. I mean. Yeah. She has no way to make an income. She has no way to make a retirement. She's like off on her own. And the she only has no thing... place to live. Right. And so this was basically, I mean, as far as I can tell, given the parameters of their culture, one of the most merciful, uh, equitable things you could do. It's like, okay, well, then you need a male in your family. and A sense of built-in security. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And... And that's what this was. And it was, yeah, social security, if you will. Um, sure. and, and Onan doesn't want to give this to her. He selfishly wants it for himself. And later we see that Judah uh, in 12, <laughs> Judah doesn't want to give, um, well, it wasn't in 12, it was, it was earlier. It's, it's just basically he doesn't want to give his youngest son to her either because he's afraid, oh, maybe something will happen to my youngest son, so we can't risk that. And so he basically makes a promise to her that he doesn't keep. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so Judah has he, – he, when, when these two brothers are unable or unwilling to provide her an heir, provide an heir, someone to take care of her, uh, Judah just sends her back to her father. He does have another son. That could uh, take up this mantle for her, but apparently he's not old enough to be married yet. And Judah just decides, you know what, go back to your father and live with her as a widow. And when Sheila grows up, then you can marry him. Uh, but his reason for it, he says, says in case or how does it put? It? It says lest he die like his brothers. It's almost like Judah is a little afraid that Tamar is bad luck. Like somehow she's brought this on on the boys. It maybe, but the narrative sure doesn't blame it on her. No, no, it doesn't. 
so she she goes back to she goes back to her father, uh, Judah's wife, Shua, passes away, and Shayla grows up, but Judah doesn't honor his promise to Tamar by uh, this younger son. Doggone it, Sheila. Shayla. Shayla. Man, oh man. <laughs> I guess Shayla kind of sounds like a girl's name. So every time I keep looking at it at my notes, it. You probably say it wrong. It's probably like Shayla or something. Shayla. Probably. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. We'll say it like a Klingon. Shayla. Uh, so he grows up. Judah does not honor his promise. Um, and Tamar decides she's going to take matters into her, own, into her own hands for her own security. And. She poses as a prostitute and um, decides that she is going to trick Judah into providing her her uh, some security here. So she does. So the <laughs> and, story goes, she dresses up. He feels that she's a, a, a cult prostitute, which what he's doing with one of those, you've got to kind of question where he's uh-huh. at there. Mm-hmm. So yep. she gets pregnant by him. They make this deal where she doesn't have any basically he forgot his wallet and she's like okay well I'll take your ring and your staff which was kind of their signatory thing he tries to pay she's not there he's embarrassed and then later let's fast forward to he finds out that his um, former daughter-in-law is pregnant she's accused of prostitution which I find the height of irony is that he is all in a moral uh, high horse that she has been a prostitute and he's ready to have her stoned, you know, her killed. And and meanwhile, he, I mean, this just blows, this is, there's a lesson in this uh, for us. It's an amazing thing. And he, 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 this is, a, this I think is one of the key passages and Karen kind of alluded to this earlier. It's in 26. So basically She's like, oh, yeah, well, I'm pregnant. Really? Oh, yeah, but by the guy who um, owns these things. And she produces the staff and signet. And he realizes, oh, that was me. And he says this in 29. Then Judah identified them and said, she is more righteous than I. Well, so says earlier in there, he says he never knew her again. Yep. So, and then. I, I think this is more than they never just met again. I think this is this is that new in the biblical sense, in the sense that Adam knew his wife and uh, Judah never knew Tamar again. But um, you know, it still seems like he just kind of left her for herself now that she had a child that would be able to raise her. Um, but um, Tamar gives birth to twins named Perez and Zera. And one of them is born when he, he starts to come out and he has a midwife ties a red thread around his hand. Uh, but he pulls back in and, and uh, the other one comes out. And so she has these two children. And about that, they, they become the two heirs um, along with his other son, Sheila, who, we, I mean, we don't see, we never hear anything about him again, at least not here. Right. Um, yeah. They become heirs of his, uh, of his property, and they become part of the lineage of the children of Israel, which is 
that's a really interesting thing is that is that the Jews seem to be, in Jesus' time, pretty proud of their heritage. Like, oh, we are pretty special. And you look back at what their heritage is, it's a pretty sketchy bunch of ancestors. <laughs> well, in this case, the yeah. the guy with the red string around his wrist, who was the firstborn, sort of-ish, he's actually a di uh, direct ancestor of Jesse, line of David, line of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Right. And, this is, and he's born of this whole thing. So they're, ah, I don't know. This and this is making a resurgence today. This ethnic purity thing, and it's uh, I'm searching for the polite word of cow pucky. You know, it's it doesn't. <laughs> it's not a. It's not a. Just nobody has that. It's not real at all. Right. You know, I yeah. like to think of it is that you want to put yourself on that high horse, but thank you to Ancestry.com or <laughs> you know, it, it tends to just like what happened here is. You know, you want to jump on a soapbox and somebody is so quick to kick it out from under you yes. and let you know that, you know what, this could be your lineage. And sometimes it is sketchy people, but I think it all plays into, you know what, God can use anybody. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. God can use anybody. And I think where we started, like this, this whole chapter 38, this whole little just like blurb of a story that's dropped right into the middle of Joseph reminded me of the text in James that says, if you know you're supposed to do a thing and you don't, that is sin to you. Like yeah. sin isn't just what you don't do. Like, ooh, that's forbidden. I don't do that. Yeah. You're also supposed to do some things. And if you yes. know something is right and you don't live up to that, you're just as guilty. That yeah. is sin to you. Not sin to somebody else, sin to you. Yep, right. And that's, that, I mean, was, that was the theme that I got out of that little funny little story. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Okay, should we get uh, back to Joseph now? Yep. So, so uh, chapter 39, we, get, we come back to Joseph after we've had this little interlude. We find that Joseph has been married, not married, Joseph has been sold to Potiphar, the captain of the guard. Actually, we were told that back in 37, um, mm -hmm. that yep. he was sold to Potiphar, who was the captain of the guard for Pharaoh in Egypt. And verse 2 says that the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man. Now, I put a little note here that I thought this could be an interesting thing to talk about here. What is it that made Joseph successful? Was he just some somehow imbued with success from Joseph? Uh, with was he just imbued with success from God somehow, or was it that he applied himself in ways that allowed him to be uh, successful and blessed by God? Yes, well, I don't think that's an either or. Yeah, I think it's a little. It's both. Yeah. A lot of times we might want to sit around and wait for a blessing from God. But uh, as we've talked about a lot here on the podcast, how uh, sometimes we just have to put ourselves out there a bit to uh, obtain some of that blessing that's there, which is not quite the same as some of these other people that we've talked about who have tried to make promises come true in ways counter to the way God would want it. You know, not right. like. Yeah, not like, you know, stealing it from Esau uh, and things like that. Right. And here's, here's an unrelated, but it's a technical thing that I think is really fascinating. Is where in, in, in 39.1, the captain of the guard, that phrase shows up again and again and again later mm -hmm. as we go into the reading. 
Um, because, spoiler alert, he is put into prison in the, quote, house of the captain of the guard. And I yep. wonder if that's just a generic title. It's kind of like the mayor and, like, there's bunches of them. Kind of like a Herod or a, or something like that. Or, or if this is, like, the same guy. Because I, he shows up again and again. You know, this reading, I noticed that, too. And I was kind of getting the impression that this was the same guy. And so when we when we get there i've got a bit of a theory about that here myself for okay, uh, sure. what happens to joseph let's get into um, the good story and we'll see what here. so okay it's a, uh, potiphar takes notice of joseph's success and uh, he puts joseph in charge of his entire household that sounds again it's one of those things that sounds strange to us because of the way that we in the united states have envisioned uh, slavery and the way that slavery happened here in the united states that wasn't the way it always was. Slaves were treated with a lot more respect at some points in some parts of the world, I think, than uh, we generally tend to picture slavery here in the States. But uh, Joseph gets put in charge of everything. And it tells us in verse 5 that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. So here again, Joseph is just putting his all into whatever it is he does. And as a result, his boss, his master, if you will, is is uh, benefiting. He benefits from this. Problem here, though, is that Potiphar's wife also takes notice of Joseph, and she wants him to sleep with her. Um, I'm guessing this is probably a household where maybe the husband isn't around a lot, and Joseph is a pretty decent-looking guy, and Potiphar's wife is a lonely woman, maybe, or she's just one of those types, you know, promiscuous. I, 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 don't know. I picture this as if, if you could imagine such a world where there was a high-ranking political official who had a trophy wife, I mean, just use your imagination. Sure. And, <laughs> and maybe this is her. And yeah. you couple that with what you're proposing, Matt, is that she's feeling a little lonely here. And it says, I mean, flat out, this is not speculation about um, Joseph because it says it in verse six. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Right. He's been working hard, doing manual labor. He's young. Uh, Potiphar yeah. probably not 21. I mean, he's captain of the King's Guard. This is probably mm -hmm. something that went to somebody older. Old and experienced. Yeah. 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 And this is, this is thrown out there to... She's a very forward woman here. Let's just say that. Yeah, I would, I would just like to throw in. I would just like to throw in that when you are that type, what somebody looks like or how old they are really isn't the point. Doing it is the point. So here we are with her wanting to do it. You know, I was thinking the same thing too along those lines. Is she was probably married to somebody a lot older. Joseph could have been a lot closer to her, her own age. Probably. Yeah, but I think it was also maybe could be a kind of power and position kind of thing where. You know, he was a slave or a servant and had to kind of yield to whatever, you know, the master's family wanted. Yeah. 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 So whatever the reasons are, uh, Joseph turns her down, turns her down flat. And his reasoning, his the way he puts it yes. is. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? That's it. Yep. He says, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And this sets Miss, I'm going to call her Mrs. Potiphar, sets her off. She gets angry about it. And she frames him for trying then to rape her. Uh, he takes off, leaves his jacket in her hands, I guess. 
and runs out of the house. Uh, and she uses that as evidence that he was there with her and accuses him of rape. And uh, it gets back to Potiphar, who then has Joseph put in prison. Now, this is where I come into my little theory there. Okay, before, the we go there before we go there, Matt, let's, let's go back okay. to the verse that, that Tracy mentioned, because I think it's really, really important, is that Joseph's reason is chapter 39, 9. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? This mm-hmm. is a big deal. Yeah. We have this story of David and Bathsheba. Um, fast forward a lot longer. And then we have David's psalm in Psalm 51. And this is the one that we've heard, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. That's Psalm 51.7. But interesting, Psalm 51.4, David says, Against you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, which I think is really fascinating. And again, we skip forward to Luke 15. This is Jesus actually narrating a story, and see if you can tell what story it is. There is a young man who practices these words, and he practices saying, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before my father. And then later he shows up, it's the prodigal son, it's Luke 15, uh, 21. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I love that. Mm. And this is, a, this is a principle of keeping in mind where sin really is. Is it is a sin? Yes, it hurts us. And yes, it hurts those around us. But it is ultimately, it's against God. And this shows up way early in the narrative here we are we haven't even left genesis yet and that's where we are and that's joseph's reasoning which i think is really important yeah thanks for bringing that back to that eric okay so potiphar has joseph put in prison now i have a a quick thing or to jump back there but right there in that verse two what i kind of stuck out with me is that um joseph lets it lets her know exactly his position is that, you know what? Your husband has given me everything to rule over everything in his house, but you. And I thought that was telling that he said, you know what? So to me that he was also thinking about God first and foremost, but then he was also thinking about his, you know, master and sense worldly and said, you know what? He's given me everything, but you, and I don't want to cross that line. Yeah. yeah. So it tells us if we we jump forward just a touch here. It tells us in verses one through four of gen, of uh, chapter forty. It tells us that where did I see this? The captain of the guard charged. Okay, so Joseph is put into the prison. the The person who keeps the prison notices Joseph much the same way that Potiphar did, and Joseph gets put in charge of everything here. But when we get into 40, verse 4, the captain of the guard, I'm assuming here is still Potiphar, says, um, charge Joseph with them. Uh, I'm sorry. The, 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 put them in the custody of the house of the captain of the guard. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> what I'm getting at is that I think this captain of the guard is still Potiphar. He is, he is in charge overall of this prison. And so when he had Joseph put into this prison, it's always been the sort of this assumption that Joseph was put there as punishment 
I'm thinking it was more like a lateral move just to remove Joseph away from from the trouble that was his wife. What do you think? Yeah, I think so. We skip we skip back up, and it says that uh, Potiphar, when he hears this, is really angry. I think that's nineteen. Verse 19, this is master, this is the way your servant, she, she accused, his anger was kindled. Now this is, I'm guessing, but I'm going to say this, um, I'm guessing that his anger is kindled at his wife. Yeah, because that's what I think. This guy did not get to be in charge of all of the military and be stupid. Right, he's, right. He's not that dumb. And he's, he's trying, you know, trying to think of from his perspective, he's like, man, I have never been as successfully financial financially successful and at ease as I have been with Joseph in charge of everything. And my wife goes and short circuits the whole thing. It's like yeah, it's the same face. Right. Exactly. He has to do something. Yep. Yeah. Like, Got to blame somebody. So, you know, could it be like Matt was saying, you know, I'm having a little trouble at the prison and things aren't running the, especially well. So, you know, let me remove you from the situation to make it look like you're being punished. But in essence, you know, I could be getting a benefit here and not having to worry about the prison now. I didn't yeah. think about that, but I think you're right because he's like, dang it, I got to do something because people are going to talk if I don't do something. And my wife is, she is, oh man, she's a piece of work here. I'm sure she's, he's like, oh brother. But I think too, if you look at Egyptian society and you look there, a woman holds a high place in the house too. It wasn't, you know, and I think he had to kind of, in essence, back her up a little bit and yeah. and punish yeah. him. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I, I think so too. And yep. So um, that's an interesting thing. So he's now he's in the and it's interesting. The place where he is is it's called the house of the of the uh, captain of the guard. It's called the prison and it's also called the pit. Okay. So he, he's in the prison, which is not as uh, desirable a place as the house, but. Something important happens. He gets put in charge of Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker. We don't know why they're in prison, but I would assume that you don't get tossed in prison for no reason at all. But um, both of these guys have dreams, and we know that Joseph already has some experience with dreams, having had his own that that predicted what would happen with him uh, and his own family. So... Uh, yeah, one of them, yeah, the dreams are interesting, but essentially what they mean is the butler is going to be restored to his position and the baker is going to end up being executed. And what is it? Three days later, these things come to pass. Yeah, so let's let's go. There's an important phrase in here that plays out significantly in the future, and it's in chapter 40, verse 8. Um, and they said we, they, this is the, the baker and the butler, said to him, we have had dreams and there was no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Yeah. Is he straight up saying, and this is what Daniel says also, when he's tempted to think like, oh, yeah, I got this thing. That uh, Joseph says, do not all interpretations belong to God. And he gives it credit where it's due. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, do you think, not, not to belabor this too much, do you think that Joseph has learned to be humble or do you think maybe he really was kind of humble all along and his brothers before they were just jealous of Joseph? Because it seems to me that somebody who gets as successful as Joseph does and as good at organizing things as he does is not 
necessarily the selfish person that his brothers had made him out to be. That maybe he kind of possessed some uh, skill all along and some humility. Or do you think this is something that he learned over time, uh, having been sold by his brothers? I think it's all in the journey because he was when he was at home with his father. He was he was in high esteem where his father, that was his favorite. It was known that, you know, I loved your mother. I really didn't care about the other ones. Um, so he he had that attitude. And I think we saw it when he was revealing his dreams and and just letting him know. And we said he was kind of awkward that way where he would just say what was on his mind. No filter because. You know, he kind of had it like that. And yeah. when he gets sold, I think it knocked him down a peg or two. And he was by himself and he didn't have that anymore. So I think this is all part of his journey. And maybe, you know, a little bit just reminding him of that because he was able to go as a slave and and end up running the house and running the things that he was he was put in charge of and had a little success. But I think along the way, he still needed to be put down a peg or two, you know, and not to um, let it go to his head. But he always seemed to know that, you know what, you know, God is most important here. Yeah. Darren? Okay. Hmm? Did you have a thing? No. Um, no. I, I'm looking at my, my um, timeline that's written in one of my Bibles here, and it's kind of interesting. Like, I think... I think before Joseph goes to Egypt, I think it says he was 17. I think yes. it says that straight out. Yes. And then, so my scholarly estimate timeline says that that was in 1729. And then by the time he's imprisoned uh, in in uh, with Potiphar, it says that we're up to 1718. That's 11 years later. So he's in his late 20s. Yes. And then, he was 30 when he started service for Pharaoh. Yes. So it's it's kind of a like he was with Potiphar for a while. Yeah. Like he really established himself in that household. And yeah. and then, you know, and then went to prison. Yeah. So these he interprets these dreams for these guys, um, which turn out to be exactly the way he said they would be. And uh, the butler does get restored back to Pharaoh. Now, this is a pretty from what I can take it. It was a pretty. Important job. I mean, they call it cupbearer. My first thought about cupbearer is stories I've heard from medieval times where this was the guy who was in charge of testing things before <laughs> before, uh, before the king was able to eat or drink just to make sure things weren't poisoned. I don't know if it's the same thing here or if this is just like we think of as a butler who's just kind of taking charge of the household. It doesn't. It's not necessarily that important to know specific, but he's obviously in a very important position and in relation to to Joseph uh, or a uh, 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 Pharaoh. Um, now Joseph had asked, remember me, help me get out of this prison. That's why I, that's why I said earlier, it seemed that the prison isn't as luxurious a place to live as Potiphar's house. So Joseph is probably not crazy about uh, taking care of the prison as, as well as he was with, uh, I'm assuming he was fairly happy with being in Potiphar's house, but, um, but the butler does not do Joseph any favors and completely forgets to mention Joseph for two full years. Oh, I think that was God's work. I don't think that was him being a dingbat. I think that was God waiting for the right time and the right place for things. Yeah, that's remember, in the remember in the story of Esther, like this position for just such a time as this, like that, that's a real thing. 
Yeah. Yeah. Which I got to say, that is, it's both encouraging and hard to think that his place was to wait in prison for two more years, for however long he'd been there before then. We could probably do the math. Um, he's been there two more years and he doesn't know what's what God has in store. And I'm not going to lie. It's, it's interesting to read about people like this and say, Oh, wow, that's fascinating. He was in prison and you know, we know what the next chapter is, but here we are all in this moment, not to, well, yeah, to go ahead and date the podcast. We're, we're in stay at home orders, uh, you know, because of the, uh, coronavirus pandemic and not knowing what comes next and we're like man this just it's not easy we can look at joseph and just skim by oh after two years blah 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 and i'm just mm -hmm. thinking man i i want to get out of here in mm -hmm. three weeks you know and and i'm still in my own house it's to look at joseph and to realize that i, I I shouldn't say, I think you're right. I have to say, Karen, I'm afraid you're right <laughs> in yeah. that this probably was part of God's plan. Yeah, and I it's think it was part of his, his journey to learn patience. I think you're absolutely right, Tracy. And Moses, 40 years in the wilderness herding mm -hmm. sheep. Okay, now you're qualified to herd people. So let's go herd some people. All 40 these, years. All of these things. And when I think about it in my own life, it's, man, it's humbling and powerful and difficult and i guess this is one of those things where we have to say again this is god's thing it's his timing and i'm gonna say it's not easy yeah yeah so what finally triggers the butler's memory is that pharaoh has some dreams and he's telling everybody about them and asking people to try to interpret them so there's some pretty bizarro dreams i don't know if he had a hot bowl of chili or something right before he went to bed and it just uh <laughs> okay no clearly these were from god he has uh, dreams of seven fat cows that get eaten up by seven skinny cows. And when after they're eaten, the skinny cows are still skinny. And then he has a dream that seven good heads of grain are eaten by seven thin heads of grain. I can't even imagine what that one starts to look like. Um, but uh, it's clear to him that these dreams have meanings. Um, and this is what, one of those times when uh, we find out this is basically the same message given twice and i think we've mentioned before here maybe not but anytime uh something would get mentioned twice like this like from a vision or or a dream or things like that it was known to have special meaning real special significance and so he's this is uh troubling the, the pharaoh and the baker finally remembers oh yeah i remember this guy joseph that i was in prison with and and uh and and he he told it he told uh, me all about my dream and it came true, so the pharaoh uh, brings Joseph in, and uh, again, when he's offered to um, to interpret the dream, Joseph says God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. So here again, it's Joseph not taking uh, not taking credit for it, but understanding and making sure everybody else understands that this is from God. Right. And so Joseph t or uh, Pharaoh tells Joseph the dreams and the interpretation comes back that 
there's going to be seven years of plenty and it's going to be followed by seven years of famine. And that it was repeated, like I said, because this was sure to happen. This was this was absolutely going to happen. And Joseph advises Pharaoh that, you know, you need to set somebody up to oversee this, to get ready for this thing. Um, we can't just sit here and wait for this famine to happen. We know it's going to happen and you need to do something about it. And what you should do is basically have a tax on everybody. Collect a fifth of all the produce that's going to be, and we're going to store this thing up, store it up for seven years. And Pharaoh goes, hey, you know what? I know who could do this. You could do this. You know what? I think it plays in a little bit more to the fact that I think it's all kind of interwoven. So the the captain of the guard, the captain yep. of the prison, everything else has their little councils. And it's like, I don't think he so much turned it over so quickly. I think right. everybody else contributed to this and said, you know, listen, this this oh, guy yeah. right here, he can he can manage this stuff. Yep. He's managed yep. my house. He's managed the prison. And, you know, I find it um, yep. amazing that it was and Pharaoh sent for Joseph and brought him quickly out of the dungeon. And basically it says, you know what? I shaved him down. I made him presentable because he was, you know, it's like what we were saying before. It was situational and in, in environmental where he was at. He was in prison. Even though he was running the prison, he was still in prison. Yeah. And it probably right. was the easiest of things. And that's where I think some of those lessons that we had talked about came from. But nonetheless, all these people still vouched for him. Yes, he's in prison, but he's a good guy and he can get it done. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And That's a really, really good point. So it wasn't just some sort of miraculous, like, oh, you've been a slacker for the whole time, and you've, mm-hmm. you've you know, been a, you've been short on all your duties. But surprise, you get to be second in command to Pharaoh. Yeah, yeah, because he doesn't get just put in charge of a project. Joseph gets put in charge of the entire country, so he's like second in command of all of Egypt now. So yeah, like you say, this there must have been a lot of deliberation going on here, and. Um, he, Joseph clearly had a name. He, he, he must have had a reputation that was, that was well known, yeah. uh, at this point. And, uh, Joseph gets, he's one of these guys, gets a new name. This time the name comes from, from Pharaoh though. He gets called, I'm going to probably butcher this, Zafnath Paneah, which means God speaks and he lives. And that, so that's Pharaoh mm-hmm. acknowledging Joseph's God. Which is interesting because if you recall, Egyptian religion was that Pharaoh was God. Or at least he was a God, but I mean, they generally they were considered to be like the sun God. Uh, Deity. Which, yeah. Yeah. Deity. yeah. But I mean, when they died, I mean, it was, they would become, uh, I, I, I might be wrong about this, but I think they would basically become Ra, the sun God. But um, he gives uh, Pharaoh gives Joseph um, a wife. She is the daughter of a guy with a name similar to what we've heard. So a guy named Potipharah, not Potiphar, but Potipharah. And this guy is the priest of, of On or On. And uh, let's see, we, we talked about he's 30 years old at this point. And he puts the he puts the the project into play and he starts stockpiling food in the cities for seven full years. And during this time he has two sons. These two sons will be important later named Manasseh and Ephraim. 
Um, so here, I just want to throw this in that it's it's interesting. We've got cycles of seven. Sevens mm-hmm. show up a lot in the Bible, uh-huh. um, and so we have two cycles of seven, which is I find fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, also, just as a little side note, I think it's interesting. I, I just, it had I don't know. I just never really thought about it before that Joseph is setting us setting up this tax of twenty percent. Which right now, 20% tax sounds pretty high to be taxing everybody. But here's, here's the thing, is that he's doing this in a time of plenty. So the people aren't hurting. I mean, they've got 80% of their produce left, right? So that's mm-hmm. pretty awesome. But what he's also doing is he is buying the surplus that keeps prices reasonable that allows people to stay in business. Because if everybody was producing a bumper crop, the prices would crash, inflation would go crazy. And so it's not just the seven years of famine where Joseph stabilizes the economy. It's he stabilizes the economy during the days of plenty before that, which mm-hmm. I think it's, it's just, that's just genius. Mm. Yeah, I hadn't thought of it on that level. But yeah, that is interesting. Sure. So just like I said, this famine comes and Joseph uh, starts to then, (laughs) this is interesting to me, he sells the surplus back to the Egyptian people and the surrounding countries. Yeah. That that makes the libertarian in me raise my hackles a little bit. (laughs) Selling selling back something that you took from me to begin with. But it works. (laughs) You know, it works. I don't know Uh, if you're so much going to complain if you're starving. No. Or have the potential to starve. Yeah, no, they were in a position, you know, the people ended up in a position and there was nothing uh, they could do about it at this point. And it wasn't just the Egyptian people, but it was also the countries around them that were in this famine. Well, and think about it. Talk about seven years of abundance. Those seven years of abundance, they took 20 percent and mm-hmm. held that, like cured grain and held it. And that was not only enough to support Egypt during the seven years of famine, but the surrounding nations during the years of famine. Like these were serious years of abundance. Yeah. yeah it had to be crazy a lot. Yeah. But I think it goes back to just looking at it, that God knows the beginning from the end, yeah. that he, he needed to do this and to set Joseph on this path no matter what it took, you know, his interaction with his brothers getting sold into slavery, getting sent to a foreign land, that that this whole area, surrounding area, was going to be held in famine, and that's what was going to um, perpetuate and keep his people alive. Well, and because Egypt is the one who has all the food, this is why uh, Jacob decides to send his sons to Egypt to buy food. He sends ten of them. He does not send Benjamin. I don't remember. I don't know how old Benjamin was here, but he does not send Benjamin. Uh, the the first verse of chapter forty two made me laugh. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, "Why do you just keep looking at each other? <laughs> Go down there and buy some so that we may live." And I was just like, "Okay, Dad. All right, Dad." It's like a phrase I picked up somewhere, and I always tell my brothers, like, what are you doing standing there with your faces hanging out? (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, um, so they they head into Egypt uh, to buy food, and they get, well, they get, they, they end up coming right before Joseph, but they don't recognize him. This has been, what did we say now, how many years? 
13. 13 years, and, and they, don't, they don't recognize Joseph. Now, I can assume, one, they didn't expect to see their brother that had been gone for so long. Um, and two, two, they wouldn't have expected to see him in this position. And right. three, Joseph is probably wearing, I would guess, some makeup, some of that traditional Older. Egyptian... Yep, older, dresses in Egyptian, head shaved, the whole deal. Yep. Face yeah. shaved. He's been working out in the prison jail for 13 years. He's getting pretty buff. Bread and water, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he, he clearly, he's not recognizable to them. And I think like Karen just said, his even his face is shaved. And I mean, I think we know from uh, Israelite men would have had beards. You know, I mean, it's just kind of the way they did it. They just they they were they had beards and and you rarely I don't know if I've ever known to see an Egyptian with a with facial hair. Not that Maybe I've ever a little chin thing that they would yeah. tie braids onto. Yeah, you know, for the ceremonial thing. I don't know if that was actually attached to their chin or not. Tracy, glued. It was glued. <laughs> okay, so oh, yeah. And shoot, I remember when I was in high school, I did a, a church building project, and I, I wanted to grow my hair out as long as I could because that was the fashion. And I it was Nebraska summer, and I was on a roof working. I'm like, I cannot wait to shave this hair off of my head. Mm. I do not imagine they had a lot of long hair going on in Egypt. And no. so these brothers show up. They're out of their element. They show up before Joseph, and they they bow. You know, Joseph recognized. To what you were saying, Joseph recognizes brothers. His brothers don't recognize Joseph. Joseph speaks harshly to them because last Joseph knew is they were willing to sell someone into slavery or kill him. He hasn't seen any change in their character, and he doesn't know what kind of guys they are now. Yep, and he decides he's going to play a little game here with them, and he, he says, "You're here because you're spies. You're here to uh, you're here as enemies of Egypt." He didn't say that exactly, but he says, uh, you're spies. You've come to see the nakedness of the land. And, of course, they're like, no, <laughs> we're just here to buy some food. We just want to buy some food. That's all. And Joseph has him tossed in prison for three days. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, something I hadn't noticed on previous readings. He says, at first, I'm going to keep all of you except one and send one of you back to the land to get your brother. And then after they're in jail for three days... He changes his mind and he says, "Okay, no, actually, I'm only going to keep one and send all the rest of you back." So Joseph actually relents a little bit here. Mm -hmm. Huh? I missed that. I mean, I remember him saying, "They were, you know, go and bring back, or I'm going to keep the one." Well, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. There it is, verse sixteen. Yep. Okay. <laughs> I just, I just, I don't know. I just I think it, glanced, I think glazed it, over it. I think it goes to what Tracy's been saying, though. This is a journey. Is This is a, a people change. People soften. People harden. People, people change. And Joseph is showing that he's changing at this point. Just, I mean, even in these three days. Yeah. Yep. Well, but the, I think you see that change even in, in last week's when we were seeing Jacob and Esau. Just like yeah. Eric said, people change over time. Yeah. You know, you 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 have Jacob crossing the brook and seeing, you know, his brother or Esau seeing his brother limping and looking, you know, haggard and beat up, and he's he's softened, you know. And I think you see this too, where where Joseph still harbors that anger. He's like, I, I'm going to pitch you in jail the minute I see you, and then it's it's kind of he has to relive his journey and how he felt and everything else, and pretty much end up having 
mercy for his and grace for his brothers. Yep. Yeah. So the brothers are talking amongst themselves here and they kind of admit their guilt towards what they did to Joseph. They still they don't know that this is Joseph they're standing in front of and they don't know that he can understand them because all this time Joseph has been talking through an interpreter. Uh, so they're, you know, they think they're speaking in secret. Joseph overhears them. I think it's an element and, of surprise and keeping the ruse going that, you know what, I'm just going to kind of play it out and see exactly what their where their hearts are. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes but when he, I was going to say, in, when you're talking about Matt, how about the brothers talking, is it's in verse 22 where Reuben says, there comes a reckoning for his blood. And mm-hmm. that is straight from Genesis 9-5. We talked oh, about yeah. earlier that even there is a reckoning of blood for animals. Like animals are accountable for blood and people are accountable for blood. And so this is a, this is a straight up reference to that in, from Genesis. Mm-hmm. Well, and there's probably a good chance they, they could even assume he's dead by now. You know? Oh, sure. Um, and they sure. do. But, but that's why they're like, uh-oh, we're, now we're going to have to pay for this. Yeah. Well, Joseph overhears this, and this obviously is a big turning point because it says he turned around and he wept. He didn't let them see it, but he turned around and he wept. I think that's because then at that point he realized that, you know what, his brothers had not forgot about him. They remembered what they did to him. And yeah. now they were they kind of admitted their guilt. And we're accepting of whatever punishment is like, you know what? We have to pay for it now. We're, we're going to pay for it one way or the other, but now's the time. Yeah. So Joseph does take one of the brothers and uh, puts him in prison while the others get to go back. Now, I thought it was interesting who he took. Yeah. He, took he took Simeon. He did not take Reuben. And yeah. I'm suspecting it's because he knew somehow he knew that Reuben hadn't been in favor of any of this from the beginning. Because if you remember... Well, he says it in 22, right in front of Joseph. Reuben's like, didn't I tell you not to do this? And Joseph's yep. listening to it all. Yep. And Reuben was the one who was going to go back. He was going to pull Joseph out of the pit. He was going to restore him back to his father and everything else. And But by the time he got there to do it, everything was already done. So he takes he takes Simeon and not Reuben. And that's, I, that's interesting because Reuben is the oldest, and you would think he would be the most... Uh, responsible, the one to be held the most responsible, but that's not that's not the way Joseph does it here. But he the 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 brothers head back, but before they head back, <laughs> Joseph's not done playing games with them. He has all their money put back in their sacks, along with the the grain that they had purchased, and they don't realize it until they're going to feed their donkeys when they're part way back home already. And uh, this was another one of those places. Let's see, verse twenty eight. Who is it that says this? It was um, his. He said Joseph. Blah, 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 blah. He says one of the brothers Jesus. says my money. Who was this He's speaking? In I'm in twenty five through twenty. <laughs> yeah, but it doesn't eight. say the name. It just says yeah, it doesn't one say name. name. Just one of the brothers. Oh yeah, there's just one of them. Okay, uh, but my money has been restored, and there it is in my sack. And then he says. They were afraid, saying, what is this that God has done to us? And that interesting that they attribute this to God somehow? I just think it's interesting that the minute they see their money, it's like, oh, no. Yep. Well, <laughs> yep. I think it's, I think they, 
Yeah, I think it's a I think it's a guilty conscience. I think it's probably weighed on them for a while. And, um, you know, they they knew the people that came through before where, where they were like, well, hey, let's take Joseph out of the pit and sell him. Like those traders were going to Egypt like they knew. So this had to have brought all of us back to their memory. And they've watched their dad grieve and they've watched their dad overprotect the bejeebers out of little Benjamin, who's now grown up and not allowed to leave the house because that's the one remaining son of the loved wife. Like this, this has played out in great detail for years. And I think, I think that any, any deviation from normal is just going to jump right up and down on that already hot guilt button. And they're just going to be like looking around for, I mean, I hate to call it karma, but it's kind of karma. Yeah. That's like, what they're, look they're, what you did. Yeah. Well, you know, they get. I look back and I think that the reason Reuben was was sent, I mean, or was allowed to leave, and Simeon was put in jail, is because I think that held a lot of clout for the father. That you know, Reuben was going to be the the voice and the overseer of this whole journey down there to get the food, and then he has to come back and give a report to to his father and say, "Listen, this is exactly what happened. This is why it ha- why it, it happened." And this is now what he wants us to do is bring back our youngest brother. Because he goes on to say that in 37 that he's having to talk to his dad and say, listen, we need to bring Benjamin back with us. But you know what? If anything goes wrong, I'm assuming the responsibility for everything. If anything goes wrong, you know what? You could kill two of my sons. Yep. So here's a question for you guys. I, I completely agree. With, does, do we know... If the brothers have actually come clean with their father about what happened to Joseph, I don't I, know. I would doubt it. I don't think. But so. I don't know because I think at this point, I I still think that favoritism is running rampant in their house. Oh, for sure. Because and I mean, it's, so you know, it's, just by the way he holds Benjamin in esteem and how they kind of allude to, you know, what it, it would kill him and you know the whole deal if. If Benjamin didn't come back, well, I don't think he'd come clean. Jacob's response in verse 36 here in chapter yes. 42, he says, it says, Jacob, their father, said to them, you have bereaved me. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And you want to take Benjamin. I, I take that no more with Joseph to mean dead. But I, I guess it doesn't mean it with Simeon because they didn't tell him that Simeon had been killed. But um, it's clear that it, he's not here. Well, they didn't tell him Joseph had been killed either. They brought him a bloody robe and said, can you tell us if this is Joseph? See if you can identify that. You know what I mean? So I've I've never had the impression from the things that Jacob said that they had ever come clean. So I guess so. To the favoritism point, in 38, I mean, Israel says, <clears throat> my son shall not go down with you. My son, right? As if the mm-hmm. rest of them, I mean, can you imagine being the other 10, I guess at this point, um, nine brothers listening my son shall not go down with you i mean he's talking to these other guys mm-hmm. and he says for his brother's dad he's the only one left can you imagine being one of those nine guys and hearing your dad go i don't have any sons yeah all my sons are gone because right. there, there's none i mean wow that's gotta hurt Ouch. yeah man huh all right, well, let's get into uh, chapter 43, and I think we can probably get through this pretty quickly because we're kind of on our time here. Um, they run out of food again. Um, you know, obviously, they weren't able to carry enough grain to last them for seven years or however long it you know, was left in this. 
Uh, you know what kind but, of made me laugh at this point is that they were in no rush to go back and get Simeon. <laughs> well, <laughs> they, well, they went through the food and they probably brought enough provisions for a while. Well, so Jacob Jacob told him right to go dump the bags and get back to get our brother. It was like, let's just, you know, we'll finish out the food. He's probably eating well in Egypt in prison still. So, you yeah. know, we're in a hurry. Well, yeah. but Jacob wasn't allowing it. Jacob what? wasn't allowing it because they, they couldn't go back without without, without Benjamin, ben. without so, getting tossed in prison. Yeah, and it took a while, I guess, to convince the father to, to let him go. But still, I just kind of chuckled a little bit is that they waited until the food ran out again to go with their brother. <laughs> Yeah, and then they're kind of like, okay, we have to go, and Jacob is like, well, okay, go, but they're like, no, we can't go unless we take Benjamin. So, uh, and it's Judah who reminds me, he says, no, we, we, we can't go without Benjamin. Um, and Jacob is not happy about it. Um, let's see, verse 6. He said, um, why did you deal so wrongfully, wrongfully with me as to tell the man whether you had still another brother. And they're like, well, but, you know, he was really direct asking questions, and we kind of had to tell him. They're, they're, they're starting to tell things truthfully to Jacob in ways that maybe they hadn't before. They're starting, I, I see them as starting to show some integrity that they really hadn't shown in other, any other part of the narrative that we've seen before this. True. But they've, the, the, I don't know, the guilt is weighing on them, I guess. But Judah says, I will take personal responsibility for Benjamin. I will make sure he comes back safe. And so... Yeah, they true, they do. That's a good point, is that from here out, they tell the truth for everything. Mm -hmm. they, even when they show up back in Egypt, they're like, hey, look, we had this extra money, and they, through their, um, I guess you call it, ethic, integrity, in uh, 4315, they say, look, not only did, are we bringing back our money, but we're going to bring you some extra gifts. Mm -hmm. um, everything they're doing... And from this point forward that we see, they're acting with integrity. Yeah. So, yeah, like you said, they go back with twice the money. They're, you know, they're like, they're going to give back the money. We're here with, with what we brought. or We're here with what we took back. We don't know why we had it. We think there may have been a mistake. But uh, here's the money. Here's some extra stuff. We just want to buy some more. Some more. But um, they get back. And Joseph says, basically, you guys are going to have lunch with me. And he gets this, I'm going to say feast. I don't know. He has lunch prepared in his own house. <laughs> um, and these guys have got to be wondering what in the world is going on. Why, you know, why would these nine or ten uh, random guys from Canaan be getting invited into the governor's house? I mean, I'm calling him the governor here. And they're getting pretty nervous about it. I've got yep. a note for verse 18. Oh, they're saying it's because of the money which was returned. He's going to make a case against us. He's going to take us and the slaves and our donkeys. They're worried about their donkeys. <laughs> um, and so they they talk to the steward there. And the, and the steward's like, no, I had your money the whole time. You guys are fine. Uh, clearly, Joseph put the steward up to this. But the, the brothers get treated to some great hospitality by this person that they had wronged so much. I've, I found that to be an interesting exchange here where Joseph has, like we said, first when he sees him, he tosses him in prison to mess with him. Uh, but now 
after he'd been treated so badly, Joseph is now treating them extraordinarily well. And it is just messing with their minds. And it brought back to me the verse later on where it says, um, oh, what is it? It ends up with, it's it's like, you know, treat your enemies well and by, I, I'm messing it up. Treat, treat them well and by doing so you will heap burning coals upon their heads. Yes. Yeah. And they still don't know this is Joseph, but they they've got this crazy guilty conscience going and they're being treated really well and it's just, it's just eating away at their brains, and they can't understand why it's happening. Oh, and Joseph does more too. I think it's just I I've, I can't believe that somebody hasn't made this into an actually like good movie. I've seen lame ones. Yeah, but the comeuppance here is amazing. I mean, he he puts them in order of their birthright. <laughs> and so, mm-hmm. and so they're they're sitting here looking at this, and they're like, okay, this guy is like supernatural, man. I mean, this is. They they are they are really like you said, Matt. They are really freaking out. Their brains are breaking, and and I think I I this speaks to me a lot in in verse eighteen, which you mentioned already, Matt. And that is, we are brought in so that he may assault us and fall on us to make servants of us and seize our donkeys. If there was any story in the Bible that had so many blind turns to where they do not know what happens next. This has got to be the king of all of them. Yeah. And I can read this, and I can look at this, and they're afraid that he's going to seize their donkeys, which actually, when we read ahead in um, in chapter 40, 47, 18, Joseph owns everything in Egypt, and, and most of the civilized world at this point. He, he owns like all the land, all the money, all the animals, he does not need, you know, nine sad donkeys from Canaan. Um, no. And so the perspective is, from from Joseph's perspective and from God's perspective, these guys have nothing to worry about. Nothing. But they are afraid of their donkeys. And I am going to admit that there's plenty of times when I'm afraid. What's going to happen to my donkeys? Mm. You know, and I'm scared of this. And I don't know what's going to happen next. And... It's one thing to look at it in the story of Joseph and snicker about it because I know what's going to happen next. But man, when in my own life, it's it's a lot harder to apply that trust and say, I don't know what's going to happen next. And we just all trust God with it. Mm-hmm. Well, and the other thing, brothers, so this is this is exactly what you're saying, Eric, but like with the brothers, they're so convinced that the thing is hinging on them. Yes. And they and like they they don't know that bigger picture. We saw this in Job. Like yeah. from Job's perspective, Job doesn't have those first couple chapters of the book that explain that this is that says this is a this is a supernatural contest over in human integrity between God and Satan. All he knows is he's on the receiving end of this and he assumes that it's about him. The brothers, Joseph's brothers are assuming the same thing. We assume the same thing. Life comes along of steaming crap onto our lap and we're like this has got to be about me how could it be about anything besides me and it's just we don't have the ability to see the bigger picture and so we automatically apply it to ourselves so when we look at other people's stories we can say check your perspective make sure you're looking at the bigger picture but when it's us oh my goodness that gets so hard yeah 
Yeah. Well, that speaks to something, Eric, that you said, I don't know, might have been a week or two ago about how your daughter was asking, why don't people do things now so they don't mess up the future? Well, we don't see the future. We don't we don't know for sure what's coming and how it's going to come down, which is why sometimes we're so narrow focused. We get those blinders on and and all we can see is like what's directly in front of us and we can't you know we don't know what's out we don't know what's around us and you know to our to the peripherals i think it's like what you're always saying is that we we only look at it through very a small kind of peephole where god sees the whole picture and we just tend to focus in on just that and how it affects just us yeah yeah well i think um the chapter culminates really here in I mean, there's some more stuff that happens, but verse 28, I thought was really good. It says, your servant, oh, he, he starts asking about their dad, and he says, uh, your servant, our father, is in good health. He is still alive, and it says, and they bowed their heads down and prostrated themselves. I wonder what was going through Joseph's mind at that point seeing that that dream that he had had so many years ago right here was being fulfilled, that his brothers are all bowing themselves down before him. And um, that really is kind of the culmination of the chapter. There's, you know, there's more book to go, but um, we've seen that things have come to play in a way that surely nobody who was a player in this at the time would have seen happening. Right. There, there is no way that in my mind that Joseph would have thought, you know what, I bet I'm going to go be sold into slavery, and that is somehow going to culminate in my brothers bowing themselves down to me. And it's just a way that God works. He, we, we, I don't know that we necessarily see the way he's going to do stuff. You look like you were going to say something, Tracy. You know, I was, I was going back to what you just said just a minute ago about, you know, maybe he thought of, this is my dream and how it's coming true here. But I was kind of thinking on the opposite side of the spectrum where his life and all of his experiences up to this point had humbled him enough where I don't, I really don't think he was dwelling on that dream anymore. I think it, it very well could have been his brothers, you know, thinking about it, you know, when everything was said and done, but in this very minute that it was happening with, with Joseph, he had to remove himself from the situation to go cry because he was basically almost like heartbroken. Yeah. You know, so I don't think it was a point of, yeah, look, you know, the, the dream that I had actually came to came came to fruition and they're bowing to me opposed to, you know what, I've longed to be with my brothers and my family and, and now I can almost have that reunion. They just, at this point, they still don't know. Yeah, I yeah. think you're on to something there, Tracy, that, that so, so many, many times, I'm going to say almost every time, these prophecies come to fruit. They come to fruit. They come to truth in a way that is so vastly different than what the players expected, that they are blown away. Yep. And here you have Joseph. I think Joseph probably at this point realized, hey, wait a minute, this is what the dreams meant. Yeah, but it's not in a aha. I am in charge, which he probably thought of when he was seventeen. It's like sweet, mm -hmm. I'm going to be the boss. Um, mm -hmm. Is it, it hits him now, and he's probably 
overcome with compassion and a realization that, oh my goodness, this is how it happens. And I just can't not get over the, the fact that over, I mean, the coming of the Messiah, how could, how could so many people miss this? It's because they were not thinking it was going to turn out like that. You know, it's these things it's like a maturity that the journeys matured him to that point. Yes. And, and I think that, I mean, to, to take it to us, to apply us, I mean, I've seen an evangelist stand up in front and say, and we totally understand exactly how revelation is going to play out. And I'm like, boy, I keep thinking, how are you the first one in history? <laughs> yeah. Right. And, and things as they unfold in our lives or in just things happen like, Oh, wow. Didn't see that coming. And I, I can oh, think of yeah. in, in my own lifetime, the fall of the Berlin wall, the dissolution of essentially communism in, in Russia. And now we have a worldwide pandemic of a, of a virus and there, the way it unfolds, we go, we've, I think calls for a lot of humility to say, we just don't know. We don't know. Yeah. But yet at the same time, I've heard prophecy referred to, and I, you know, and, and by that, by this, I'm saying that Joseph's early dreams were prophetic. I, prof, I've heard prophecy referred to as a road sign. And, and so, yes, it's kind of in code and it's kind of symbolic and you don't necessarily know what the literal manifestation of that is going to be. But time passes and you've got this knowledge in your head of this symbol and then all of a sudden it happens and it's like a road sign. God's in control and you're on the right path. Keep yeah. putting one foot in front of the other. Yeah, I, I completely agree. My point with, with bringing that up is that is that sometimes we can look at prophecy and, and when we get cocky and we're like, yeah, and I totally know what's going to go down. Is <laughs> You don't. We don't. Right. It doesn't right. mean that it won't come true, but chances are it will come true in a way that you do not expect, but that when it does, we're like, oh, this is the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Well... I think we probably need to call it a day with that. Okay. Um, what do you I think? Do have, you think I do have ahead. one. I have one question that I really need to ask before we're done here. Yes, we love you, Karen. Do we have to answer it, Karen? <laughs> uh, Tracy does. Okay. What? Tracy, uh-huh. why is there a book called the Beastie Boys book over your left shoulder? Because <laughs> I am a collector of music and every genre of music and. So you'll see jazz, you'll see the Beastie Boys, you'll see just anything else that I have a slight interest in, but yeah. (laughs) I have been staring at that this whole time and thinking, it's fine that we're reading the Bible, but what do the Beastie Boys say? (laughs) I don't know if they have anything in the book that alludes to the Bible, to tell you the truth. (laughs) Okay, well, let, let me know if something comes up. I really want this to be a comprehensive podcast. Hey, there you go. That's funny. Go sleep till Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, hey, do, uh, do you guys think we can finish the book next week, or is that going to be a bit much? That would be about seven chapters, I think. I think well, we moved pretty well today. Yeah. Me, I think the story, a lot of what happens here is just it's narrative. And so if we and our listeners read it, it's not a 
in, in my opinion, a lot of um, reading in and discussion and a lot of things like that is pretty straightforward narrative. There's some there's some cool stuff in there, especially in 50, but um, I think we can do it. Okay. Well, let's do that. Let's plan on finishing the book of Genesis uh, next week. So that'll be chapters, uh, Genesis chapters 44 through 50. That will take us out of Genesis. And then uh, the following week, we'll be able to get into Exodus, which would be uh, pretty cool. Uh, So um, folks don't remember or don't remember. Definitely remember (laughs) that you can always reach us at ATTB podcast at the adventure dot org. Uh, remember that you can find us on Facebook. Uh, be sure to subscribe to us uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget that uh, we're on we're on Apple Podcasts, Google, uh, uh, Spotify, and some others. And if there's some place where you don't find us, let me know and I'll see if I can get us there. Because I know we're not everywhere, but I think we're at uh, most of the major ones here. Um, and most importantly, please... Be sure that you share this with your friends, with your families, with your enemies, with everybody. Share us with everybody so that we can get this out. Um, This is our little corner of uh, spreading the word to the world. And the best way that you can help us is just by letting other people know about it. So I want to thank you in advance for that. Uh, Thank you for listening. And we will talk to you again next week. You're all being recorded. What? I didn't know.